I have the pleasure of bringing God's Word this morning out of Philippians chapter 2. And um, if you want to turn there within your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first four verses. This passage is a clear, a clear call to the church to be in the truest form of unity that comes only from being in Christ. And I believe it comes at a time in this world where it seems the church in general is under attack by the world, by the governments, and they're trying to divide not only the church, but even society as a whole. And everywhere we turn, there is division, it seems like. And the most discouraging part is it is often found to be between brothers or between believers. And this division is being fueled by personal opinions and feelings, and it divides and it weakens the church. But this morning we will see God's Word teaches us a form of unity that cannot come from man, but comes from within our souls, from within the believer that is occupied by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to show you from our passage this morning that Paul is exhorting us to live in true unity as the church, but also that we have everything as believers, we have everything we need to do so. Because Christ is our encouragement. Christ is our comfort and love. And we have participation in the Spirit, and we also then have sympathy and affection from Christ and towards others. And so again, the passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And it reads like this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And so we will see here how Christ, how in Christ we have all things mentioned in verse 1, how we as growing believers should display these things towards others. And when I say these things, I mean encouragement in Christ. We have comfort from love. We have participation in the Spirit and affection and sympathy. And I want to show you that this is actually a hypothetical question from Paul. There is, there is only one right answer for the believer to the statement, if there is any And we understand from God's word that there is encouragement in Christ, there is comfort from love, there is participation in the Spirit, and there is affection and sympathy for the believer. In in verse 27 of chapter 1, which we looked at last time when I preached, it says, only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And if you remember, we looked at that, and what that would look like in our daily lives, and what it would look like in the lives of the believers. And it was a call to stand firm in one spirit, a call to strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel and to not be frightened in anything. And just before that, we looked at, we saw that how for the believer our lives are simply in Christ. As Christians, we are to be in Christ and Christ is the only thing that we have and that we look forward to. Christ is our only hope, our only encouragement, our only source of love, and our only source of affection and sympathy. And so, 
And in this portion, I think Paul is for the second time kind of just explaining unity or oneness in the body, and he's explaining it a little bit differently than, than he did last time, but it becomes, uh, he's, he's, it's important to him, and that therefore he makes another point of, of describing this or explaining this to us. And it is vital for the believers to be in true unity, as Paul describes it. And so Paul um, mentions this as a shepherd. He, he acts as a shepherd or a pastor to the church at Philippi. He was always looking out for them. He loved them dearly, and this letter proves it uh, many times over. He had strong affection and love for them, and um, and it was a solid church. It had very little, if any, doctrinal issues. He really doesn't address any of those in this letter. And yet Paul understands how quickly division can, can creep into the local church body, how easy it is for a little thing to blow up into something big if it's not taken care of. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I entreat Ueda and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And so we know that there was something going on between these two ladies in the church, and that Paul urges them. He entreats them to agree in the Lord. And he also asks the church to help them to work out their situation. And we know from all of Paul's other letters to the churches that unity in the church is something um, is a real problem, and it is something he addresses in every single one of his letters to the churches. And I want to just look at a few of them. Um, you can follow in your Bibles if you wish, but I'm going to read through them here. Just jump from verse to verse here a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And in Colossians chapter 3, in verse, starting in verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And one more, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And so we see we see that, that unity in the church is not something that comes automatically. It's not natural, maybe, per se, but he, is, he addresses it. Um, not even in a good theological church, because we can all agree on primary doctrines of our faith, but it is often the preferences or ideas that cause believers to quarrel with one another. John MacArthur had an analogy, and he said it was like a bag of marbles. The whole bag of marbles is being held together by an outside force. The bag itself holds the marbles together, and when one little tear gets in that bag, the whole bag of marbles falls apart. And um, 
And when I thought of what that analogy of the bag of marbles, I was reminded of even religion, how often religious organizations use rules and regulations to hold their people together, right? And um, so easily differences of opinions can come in and they, will, they can never bring about true unity. They try to use outside forces to bring people together, rules and regulations. It will always end up in disunity. There is no internal force that holds people together. And the second part of John MacArthur's analogy is this. He said, true believers, for true believers, it is an internal force that brings and that holds them together. And he likened it to a magnet and a, and a pile of metal shavings. The magnet draws them together, it pulls them together. There is one force. And so true unity is in fact also, or yeah, that is Christ in us, the magnet. Christ alone is that internal force that will keep believers together in unity. And true unity is, in fact, even an answer to the prayer of Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He prayed this to the Father, and you can look. We can see this in John chapter seventeen. If you would turn there, John seventeen, verses twenty to twenty-one. And Jesus is praying. He says, "I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word." that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus asked the Father that we would be one with him, and the Father and his great plan answered that prayer by sending his Holy Spirit to dwell in the saints of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And that is an incredible promise, one we can hang our hats on because it is God's promise to us. It's God's word telling us. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. And so... Time and time again, we see this throughout Scripture. We see um, the oneness that the believers are to have within the Spirit. And we are to strive for that oneness. We are with each other. We are to know, we are to know from Jesus' own prayer that He wants us to be one with each other, but with Him and with the Father first. And so in our passage here in Philippians, I have three things that I believe cause unity in the bride of Christ. And they are what drives us, what is our direction, and what is our destination. So I have drive, direction, and destination. And so what drives us from, from 2 verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Paul lists four things here, and they all start with, if there is any. If there is any encouragement, if there is any love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, if there is any affection and sympathy. And we need to understand that it is hypothetical. He's not saying to believers that there is a chance there might not be encouragement. There is a chance there might not be love or participation in the Spirit. He's not saying that. If, if that is the case, then you are not in Christ, we have in previous verses seen how striving together in one mind for the faith of the gospel 
is a clear sign of our salvation. That was in verse 27 and 28 of chapter 1. The gift of salvation alone is our encouragement, and we need to live in unity for Christ and for the sake of his gospel. And these four things are true statements for the believer. J.A. Motyer said it like this. He said, verse 1 gives us the facts. For the word if does not imply uncertainty. Paul means if, as as is certainly the case. He proceeds to declare four things which are true about every Christian and which lay a factual foundation on which the life of unity is raised up, end quote. And I thought that was very helpful to understanding this. Uh, Another way to try and think this through is for every believer, there is encouragement in Christ and there is comfort in love. There is participation in the Spirit and there is affection and sympathy. But maybe Paul says it in this way, because even if you are a babe in Christ, or even if you are young in the faith, or if you are yet not a mature Christian, these things are still soul. These are still facts. They are indeed a fact for every believer in all stages of life. If any encouragement at all, if any comfort from love at all, if any participation from the Spirit at all, or any affection and sympathy at all, these are true facts for the believer. And these things become the driving force or the motivation with what we strive to be in true unity within the church. It is internal and it pulls us in the same direction. Every true believer comes to Jesus Christ and he recognizes him alone as their source of salvation. We cannot look beyond Christ for our salvation. Christ alone. You don't need a lot of it. You don't need to reach some level of perfection in these areas. These are facts of every true believer in Christ. And I want to show you how this, how this is. He says, if you have any encouragement in Christ, the word encouragement means to come alongside of someone, to counsel someone, or to bring comfort. And the fact that you are aware of Christ and his love for you already shows that he has come alongside of you. John chapter 6, and turn there with me in your Bibles, John chapter 6. Verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. And so we understand that if we have any understanding at all our need of our need to be saved, it is only because God the Father has come alongside of us. He has opened our eyes to the gospel. It is because he has raised us from the dead, as Ephesians 2.1 tells us. And one example would be that of, a good, of the good Samaritan who, come, who came alongside the man who was beaten and robbed and he was left for dead along this roadside. And the good Samaritan came and helped him. He came alongside. And the word encouragement that Paul uses here is used 28 times in the New Testament and 19 times alone in Paul's letters. And sometimes... It is translated as comfort. And just so we can see how he uses it, let's look at a few of those. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
of all, that could read, of all encouragement. That word comfort is the same word. The, the, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, again, with that same encouragement with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so this comfort is the same word that Paul used in, in Philippians 2 verse 1. It is the comfort with which we are encouraged by God. And then one more in 2 Thessalonians 2 16. In 2 Thessalonians 2 16, he says, Now may our Lord and Jesus Christ himself, the God of our Father who loved us and gave us an eternal comfort, an eternal encouragement and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And so God gives us eternal comfort. He gives us eternal encouragement. And it is again in an internal force that draws us together. It is something we know and it is from God the Father. And because of such encouragement from the Lord, we can truly have peace, have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4 verse 7 says. And so the second thing then that drives us as believers is the comfort from love of God towards us. And so if you are a child of God, there is encouragement in Christ and there is comfort and love. And now the word comfort here is slightly different than the word used for encouragement in Christ just before. Um, it's translated differently. It's very close to the same, though. Some translations, the Legacy Standard Bible says, any consolation and love. It is lit, it's, its literal meaning is speaking closely to someone or being persuaded by something or by the love of Christ. And the love here is a deep affection love that the Lord grants to unworthy sinners. The love that the Lord gave to sinners as you and me. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In verse 6, Romans 5.6, he says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, he continues that while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That is the love of God in your life. If you are born again, believer, then you have this comfort from love. And hence why Paul says, if any comfort from love, it is a foundation on which our salvation is built. If you are Christians, it is only because God loved you. And while you were still sinner, Christ died for you. And so the love of the Lord is something all Christians have in common. It is our, it is in our hearts and it is a comfort or a consolation to us to some degree or another. It was granted to us while we were yet sinners. It was poured into our hearts and it is an internal force that compels believers to be one in Christ. It is the internal force that holds us together. It is a driver towards unity in the church. And then the third thing that drives the Christians to oneness is participation in the Spirit. Paul says, if there is any participation in the Spirit, 
Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be saved. It, if you are born again, there is participation in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Actually, turn to 1 Corinthians in your word, in your 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says in verse 17, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Then if you go down to verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. But our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And again, Christ died for us to deliver us from this body of death, to bring us into fellowship with the Father through the Holy Spirit residing in us. And we looked at this passage earlier, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For in the Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one Spirit. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is endless in our lives. Any fruit we as believers have for Christ is work of the Spirit in us. Any love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control we have is only because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. These are works of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are very different than the works of the Spirit. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those... For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And when believers look to or if they dabble in the desires of the flesh, there is all kinds of disunity. And these two forces are always at odds with each other. And so we understand the true participation of the Spirit in our lives. And if there is any participation in the Spirit, and there is, as believers, then we should long to be one with one another. And the Holy Spirit will never be at odds with itself. The Spirit unites believers together, and it it unites us in ways that we ourselves cannot even come close to. The Holy Spirit is a true reality for every believer, and it is one more thing that drives us to live as one. It will not cause division between two believers. It will not cause quarrels or fights. As James 4.1 tells us, comes from our own passions and our own desires at war within us. The Holy Spirit is the same, and it is internal, and it is internal, and it causes us to be one with each other. It drives us towards unity. And then the fourth thing is, if there is any affection and sympathy, or affection and compassion, affection and sympathy towards, toward the body of Christ, the church, as a result of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. Affection and sympathy promotes unity in the body. Paul shows us what this affection looks like in Philippians 1 verse 8. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And the word, the Greek word used here for affection literally means the inward parts, the heart, the liver, the lungs, etc. It is used to describe the heartfelt emotion that comes from within. As Paul said in 1 verse 8, He had a yearning for the church at Philippi with the affection of Christ. He had deep feelings towards them. This is not normal, or this is not a natural feeling for anyone. 
Paul was at complete odds with the church before his conversion on the road to Damascus. Paul's affection and sympathy towards the church is the work of the Holy Spirit in him. God has this kind of deep love for his bride, the church, and he loved her with that deep kind of love that can and does save those whom he has given it to. It is the love that saves sinners. The love that God had for you when he sent his son, his only son, to the world to live a sinless, perfect life, only to then sacrifice himself on the cross for your sins. There is no deeper deeper affection that can be had by anyone than the love with which God loved you in order to save you. 1 John 3.16 says, by, the, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That is the affection he has towards us. Paul says, if any affection and sympathy, or sometimes translated compassion and, or mercy, he uses the word, he translates it mercy in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, which we are also seen already, but he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, or the Father of sympathy, the God of all comfort. Mercies being the same word as sympathy. And so for the believer, it is a true reality that God had not only affection towards us, but also sympathy and mercy on those whom he saved. And like Paul says it to the Corinthian church, we received it so we can have the same sympathy towards others who are in need of it. And when we have experienced this affection and sympathy from God in our lives, then we also have some level of affection and sympathy towards others. It promotes unity in the church. Mercy was extended to us before we knew what it was, and we then need to extend mercy towards others. And so I hope, I hope the reality of these four things in your life are real, and I hope that they are true for you. And that just as a reminder, Christ came alongside of us. He encouraged us. He opened our eyes to the truth of his word. Um, in John chapter 10, Jesus explains it as, as a shepherd caring for his sheep. He came he sh- to show his sheep the way. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls them by name, and he leads them out. And when he brought out his own, he, the, he goes before them, and, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Not only did he come alongside and encourage us, he loved us, and he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And he did so while we were yet sinners. And so if you are born again, you are a sheep of the great shepherd and you have the love of God in you, which was the second thing. You have the comfort of love. And third, God's word tells us that every true believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we experience the affection and sympathy that not only that God had towards us, that, but we also experience that affection and sympathy towards the brothers. And so all these things become a driving force in our lives. They have, they drive us towards, towards affection and sympathy towards others and towards the unity of the church. And Paul, who was already in chapter 1, displayed so much joy in simply being in Christ. If you remember, we read that throughout chapter 1. He displayed so much joy in simply being in Christ. His life was simply in Christ. 
But he says here, there's something, there's one thing that can complete his joy, that can make it even better. He saw the gospel go out against all odds. He, he had so much joy in, in the, in the gospel of Christ, but he says here that this would complete his joy if they would be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so not only did he show in verse 1 what drives the believer to be in unity, he gives directions here for the believer. And this is verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. And again, here's four things um, that go along with the four things being mentioned in verse 1. Four things that drive the believer and now four directions for the believer. Four things that promote unity in the church. And I believe they are related to each other. If there is any encouragement in Christ, then be of the same mind. If there is any comfort in love, then have the same love. If there is any participation in the Spirit, then be in full accord. And if there is any affection and sympathy, then be of one mind. And so the first thing that would complete his joy is that they, the church, would be of the same mind, to be like-minded, to think the same things. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. It is an action that we are supposed to do. Think the same things, heavenly things. Think of Christ and not things of this world. Again, earlier in chapter 1 and verse 7 of Philippians, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of this grace. And again, he says, it could read, It is right for me to think this way about you, to feel and to think. The same words are being translated here. And so we are to think or to feel the same way, to be like-minded. In what way are we to be like-minded? Or how are we to feel the same way as one another in order to be unified as the bodies of the believers? If there is, and I believe it is, if there is any encouragement in Christ, then be of the same mind. We are supposed to be of that same mind as Christ. We received our encouragement from Christ, and as believers we are to have the same mind. We are to tune our thinking to the one and the only standard that is true and right, and that is the mind of Christ. Christ's mind is our standard. In verse 5, a little bit later, he actually says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. True humility is found in Christ himself. And this is the mind that we are to be on, to put on, and to be in likeness of. We are to think like Christ, to be like-minded. And he is our standard. He encourages us as we are to be like-minded and be an encouragement to others. Like Like the encouragement of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. He came alongside and he helped someone who was left for dead. And like Christ came alongside us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he saved us. We are to be of that same mind with Christ and with each other. And so if you tune, if we tune our thinking to Christ, we will be of one mind. We cannot tune to each other. We must tune 
our thinking to Christ. And then the second thing he mentions, when we have comfort from love, then we want to have the same love. We are to have the same love among us and towards each other as we have received comfort from the love of Christ. This is the second thing Paul mentions here that would complete his joy. Have the same love. The second direction we want to head in as believers when we're striving for unity is to have that same love. We want to love one another with the love that Christ loved us with. And if we have comfort from love, and we do, according to God's word, then we are to comfort others with love. It is not a feeling kind of love towards others, but an action kind of love, agape love that we do intentionally towards others. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That is a love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 3.16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And then in verse 18, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's the kind of love that Christ had for us, love that acted, love that was sacrificial, love that cost him his life, and he did it for you and for me. And as believers, we are to love one another like this. This love promotes unity in the church. This love cares for others, and that is where we want to be as Christians. This is the direction we want to go. This should be the direction we are heading. This was what would complete the joy of Paul in the Philippian church. And I believe it would be the joy of any true shepherd of God's people to see the brethren loving one another as Christ loved us. But then another thing that he mentions, the third thing that would complete his joy is being in full accord. And some versions say, be united in spirit. In verse 1 it says, if there is anything, any participation in the spirit... Then Paul says, make my joy complete by being in full accord or by being united in spirit. Participation in the spirit being the capital S, the third party of the Trinity, and united in spirit in verse 2 meaning our human spirit. This is literally the only place in all of scripture this word is used. And so I can give, I can't give any examples of how it is used elsewhere in God's word. But John MacArthur said, to be united in the Spirit is to live self in selfless harmony with fellow believers. To live in selfless harmony with fellow believers. We all have the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit working in us. We have, as brothers and sisters, the participation of the Spirit in our lives. And we know with God the Father and God the Son and with God the Holy Spirit, there is no contradictions. And so as believers growing and maturing in holiness by the work of the Spirit, we become one Spirit. We long to be in full accord with one another. And in the John MacArthur commentary, I want to read this portion because I believe it needs to be said. He says, Like every other Christian virtue, unity in the Spirit must be grounded in the objective truth of God's Word. But it also has a subjective aspect. Such unity involves a deep and passionate concern for God, His Word, His work, His gospel, and His people. 
no two Christians, no matter what their level of spiritual maturity and knowledge of Scripture, will understand everything exactly alike. But if they are controlled by humility and love, they will be genuinely united in spirit. They will not allow inconsequential differences divide them or to hinder their service to the Lord, end quote. And so I believe that is so often the case with this unity in the brothers or in the church. Humility and love for the brethren is missing, and it allows self-love to take over, and disunity is born. Then we are heading in the wrong direction. It is the participation of the Spirit in our lives and knowing Him and knowing how it is the work of the Spirit that has ultimately brought us salvation and now resides in us, in us dead sinners by inheritance and now made to be alive in Christ. The knowledge of that alone should cause us to be in full accord with one another. And we need our eyes and our thoughts focused on the work of Christ in our lives. And then we will focus less on the insequential differences that so often divide. And then the fourth direction that would complete the joy of Paul for these believers is that they should be of one mind. And again, this is very close to, to the same as being of the same mind, which he mentioned what he first says, be of the same mind. Now he says, and be of one mind. Sometimes it is translated intent on one purpose. And if there is any affection and sympathy, then be intent on one purpose or be of the same mind. The affection and sympathy that we have experienced from the Holy Spirit is shown in the believer when they are of one mind and they are intent on one purpose. And so the idea is that believers are to set their minds on that same purpose, the purpose of Christ. Focusing on one common goal and concentrating together on that one thing. And that is to make to to be like Christ and to focus on Christ and to make Christ known. And the one thing that Paul points them to in this letter is Christ. Remember in verse 121, to live as Christ. And he keeps repeating that over and over. Christ. We need to live as Christ, to die as gain. Everything revolves around Christ. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brothers, join me in keeping your and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly, sing, on earthly things. And so we want to set our minds on heavenly things, on, on the things of Christ. We want to set our minds on Christ. And we have examples and so many saints that have walked before us, and like Paul and the other apostles as well. We must set our minds on the things of Christ and not on the things of this world. That is the one purpose we need to be intent on. The one mind that will keep the church united, the purpose of Christ. And so I believe these are the directions we are, we as believers want to go in. The level of maturity that we all need to be striving for on a daily basis to be in true unity for the sake of the bride of Christ. We are his bride. We are his, his, his bride and God looks at us as new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone in Christ is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. 
God sees the new creation in Christ. He sees us as his bride, and it should be our goal for all of us to strive for the holiness of Christ, to present him well within the body of Christ, to strive for unity, to be by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then the third thing that I want to look at is... um, what we, we, we've seen what drives us, we've seen what direction to go, and now what is our destination? And the destination that we want to get to in, our, in, in order that true unity will be accomplished within the, within the church of Christ. Sorry, I'll repeat that. The destination that we want to get to in order that true unity will be accomplished within the church of Christ. And that is found in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Very practical application from Paul here to the church. What should our desires be in order to accomplish true unity within the church? Paul says, first he says two things that we are not to do, and he starts off by saying, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit meaning we are to do nothing from selfish gain or for the purpose of self or or conceit, meaning to have excessive pride in oneself. Selfish ambition pursues personal goals. Conceit seeks personal glory. And these two things, Paul says, we are not to do. Striving for selfish ambitions within the church would be a great danger to the unity of the church. And Paul mentioned those who were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambitions in verse one, in chapter one, verse 17. And they were preaching out of envy and trying to afflict Paul in prison. They were seeking to puff up their own reputation. And these attitudes cause division in the church. They do not promote unity in the body. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is what comes of selfish ambition and conceit, disorder and every vile practice. The church is not about any individual. It is only about Christ. And so we must strive together towards that unity by seeking Christ, by glorifying Him alone in everything we do, promoting Christ and not ourselves, seeking to glorify Him and not ourselves. So don't do anything out of selfish ambition and he says, don't do anything out of vainglory or out of conceit. And then after that, what we should do, he says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In verse 8 it says, Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. This is the level of humility that we want to get to. We should... This should be our destination as believers. Christ humbled himself to the point of death for you and for me in order to save us. He gave his life for us on the cross. So we were so important to him that Jesus willingly gave his life for us. And this is how we are to show our love towards one another. We need to see others as more important than ourselves. This is true humility. Let each of you look not only out for his own interests, but also for the interests of other. In verse 4. And so we want to forsake taking care of ourselves. He says, not only because... 
sorry, so we don't forsake taking care, taking care of ourselves. He says not only, not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And we become, we become of no value to others if we don't take care of ourselves in this way as well. And I believe even physically, if we want to be able to serve the needs of others, we must be in shape to do so. And we understand again what we've seen earlier, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be of use to serve others, we should take care of it. But we should do so, so that we can look after the interests of others, not for selfish gain. But it is also in a spiritual sense. If we don't take care of our spiritual needs, how will we serve others? How will we be in a spiritual shape to help the weak if we ourselves are weak? Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 14 says, Therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we want the world to see Jesus. We want to show them the love of God. And we want God to use our church to draw others to himself. And one of the best ways we can do that is by being in the truest forms of unity. That unity is only possible in Christ. And we must look beyond our daily differences. And we must look to Christ as our true source of oneness. He alone is our guide to perfect harmony. And I have a quote here that I'd like to read in closing. It's found uh, by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos have all turned... Sorry. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. And I thought that describes this very well. We are to look to Christ, and He is where we tune our life to. He is, and when we do that all individually, we become unified with one another. We become close to each other, just like a hundred pianos do if they are all tuned to the same fork. If they were tuned to each other, they would, they would lose the, the perfect harmony that is required. And so even if we all strived as believers, if that was our, if our only goal was to just be in unity with one another and we didn't do that by looking to Christ, we wouldn't accomplish it. We must look beyond ourselves and we must look to Christ and then we will be tuned to the same fork. Then alone, Christ will be our source of unity. Let us look to Him. And I believe in closing we're going to sing, um, I need thee every hour. And without Christ's every hour, we cannot accomplish it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning again and just so grateful, Lord, for your word. We are so grateful for your presence in our life and for your promises, Lord, for your encouragement, for your love, for your Holy Spirit, and for your affection and your sympathy on us, Lord. Help us, Father, to every day, every hour, display that towards others. 
have perfect unity amongst us as the brothers and sisters of your church, Lord God. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.